championships, all-star nominations, coach of the year, and most valuable player awards. We all get into playing and coaching sports with the expectation of triumphant victories, exceptional performances, and moments of glory that will last a lifetime. If you have ever stepped foot on the field, court, pitch, or ice, you find out very quickly that our expectations are not reality. Oftentimes you find yourself standing in a heaping pile of shit within minutes of beginning a training, practice, or competition. What you expected to happen did not. And now you have to figure out how to clean your shoe, buckle up the chin strap, and move forward. Welcome to the When Athletes Shit in the Woods podcast with hosts Joe Durang and Dan Jascott. We are sports people for the sports people who don't mind a little bit of dirt, grit, and shit. Sharing our stories, insights, and commentary on all things sport. All right. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the When Athletes Shit in the Woods podcast with Joe, Dan, and our main guy, Dave. Uh, We're excited to have you on for our inaugural episode. Uh, Basically, what we're going with is here, you know, too often we have all these how-to books, conferences, seminars, tutorials, videos related to coaching or playing sports, and they're all focused on the positive, the perfect, and the glorious moments. Um, while those idealistic moments are great, the harsh reality is, is that sports are the most perfect imperfection. Back in 2011, I was leading a 24 hour team building event for a high school football team from out of state. Well, they're, they're from Northern Jersey. Everybody has their thoughts about Jersey, but, uh, high school football team, 24 hours from Northern New Jersey was our, I was year two of what has now become 10 consecutive years of this team sending their rising seniors and a couple coaches up to our facility for this sports leadership intensive, brutal program. It's, uh, you know, about 12 hours of some of the hardest stuff these guys can go through and then a little bit of sleep, about 90 minutes, and then about, you know, 11 and a half hours of trying to build them up, teach them the skills that we feel will, you know, help them be as successful as they can possibly be on the football team. So great, great uh, group of guys to work with every year, every summer. The great the coach is a, a great friend or has, has become a great friend over the past 10 years. Um, we're in year two. We don't know much about it, but we think it's a great program. First year went well. Group arrives in year two. and This is 2011. So this is a while ago. Out of the van, we knew this was going to be it's going to be tough sledding with this crew right here. Um, a lot of whining. It was almost like they got dragged there, you know, uh, not in their own will. And yeah, uh, we, not a we lot kinda, of buy-in. Not a lot of buy-in out of the gate whatsoever. And, and we knew we, we we had an uphill battle for 24 hours. And um, you know, within the first hour, there was this one athlete that sticks out to this day. We're not going to go names. He was a big fella. It definitely was a, like a Oh, shade nose tackle. <laughs> and within the first hour of the program, he's bitching and moaning and whining about everything. And we're, we're tough. This is the, you know, the first half of the program is, is designed to be brutal. Kids complaining about everything up and down, left and right, negative impact on the teammates around them. And, you know, to a point where one of the assistant coaches is like, dude, I'll go let you in the van. You could stay in there for 23 hours. We're grinding it out finally get to dinner, finally get to the evening activities. And, and it's, 
you know, probably one, two in the morning of day two when we finally are able to go to bed. Everybody's out in the woods. Everybody's camping out. It's time, you know, we think as the, the leaders of the program, Joe and I are thinking, all right, we'll get a couple hours of sleep tops and get, you know, get ready to hit the ground running the next day. Finally hit the hay, eyes closed. You know, it's the middle of the night. I hear some rustling around in the woods. I don't think anything of it. You know, we're animals and all that crap. And Yeah, they needed firewood, right? It could have been firewood. It could have been whatever. So we're sleeping. Freaking get up the next morning with normal routine, breakfast, break down camp, you know, do a spot check and then get on with the second half of the program. And Joe had taken the coaches and the athletes, uh, you know, up to our kind of our staging area for the program. And I had done the, the final walkthrough. They passed every freaking test, flying colors, not an ounce of garbage on the ground anywhere. The campsites were immaculate. I'm making my way down a trail, the final leg of the walkthrough, the cleanup walkthrough. And it's almost like a freaking oasis out of the desert. You know what I mean? Except for as the worst oasis you could possibly imagine. I'm, I'm walking, I'm approaching this area near one of the porto potties that we had for them. And I see a bunch of paper on the ground. I can't tell what it is as I get closer. It is a freaking steaming pile of shit in the middle of one of our trails with covered with toilet paper about 10 to 12 feet from the porto potty we picked up and walked out into the woods for them the day before that and i'm absolutely mofo. i'm absolutely irate they used toilet paper they did but i mean porto potty i know porto potties aren't pleasant in the summer but come on uh, right in the middle of the field huge dump and deliberate irate. assault on joe and dan <laughs> oh salt <laughs> in the wounds absolutely hustle up we have this huge hill at our place so i you know i say hustle it was it was a slow walk up this hill to get to the pavilion but i was freaking steaming and i get up there and i stop everything that's no going pun on. intended <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> stop everything that's going on joe and the coach are talking to the guys and i'm like all right guys who the you know who the, who the hell's shit in the woods and it was radio silence dead air and you know, this goes on for like 10 freaking minutes and the players are starting to bicker back and forth. We're yelling at them. The coaches are yelling at them. It's, it's just an absolute crapshoot and nothing comes out of it. And as this is going on, we're like nine, 10 minutes in. And I look to my right and I see the head coach. He grabs one of the shovels that we have. He grabs a bucket. He puts his head down. And it was just the most defeated freaking look you've ever seen. Yeah. Puts his head down, walks 320 feet down this massive hill he's gone for about two minutes and he walks the 320 feet back up the hill head down with a huge dump in the bucket the coach had to go down there clean it up and i know for a fact that is not one of the things he expected on his trip for the 2011 sports leadership team building event for his athletes the moral of the story is this. We all get into playing sports, coaching sports with the very best freaking intentions. And within seconds of a practice, of a game, of a freaking meeting, it hits the fan. And we got to deal with it. We got to flush our expectations down the toilet and realize that, hey, it's sport. We can expect the best. But we should also expect that we are going to find some sort of heaping pile of shit in the woods. Shit. That's our story. This is the When Athletes Shit in the Woods podcast. We're excited to have you on right here. 
This is for coaches, for athletes, for parents. And we're probably going high school and, and plus here who are interested in hearing some of our funny stories, our insights and our commentary about all things sport. Um, again, we all get into this with great plans, great expectations and great enthusiasm, but pretty much immediately when we wake up in the morning or wake up before practice, the shit hits the fan and we have to make an adjustment. Excited to have you on here, Dave and Joe. This is going to be freaking awesome. Looking forward um, to it. It's going to be great. And we're going to dive right into our first segment of the, the podcast here. When athletes shit in the woods goes in the trenches, we're going to touch on some current events in sports. Joe's going to kick us off. What do you got, Joe? Yeah. So along the lines of stepping in shit, we've all stepped in a major pile of shit with this COVID-19 pandemic, right? Whew. And one of the things that I've missed the most and we've in my household with two young kids and my wife that we made a major part of our life for since we've been together is sports and we've missed live sports in our house and without sports, we are staring at each other. We have nothing other than to be outside, to walk, you know, the dogs, all that stuff but it's really a void in our life. And so we're looking forward to those sport events coming back. Dr. Anthony Fauci, who doesn't know who this guy is right now? This guy has become a cult hero. Legendary status. Legendary. I, I would bet $20. I'll lay it down right now that he is going to get the medal of freedom from. Here's a gamble. You're going into my segment. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Twenty dollars. Fauci is a Medal of Freedom recipient. I'm gonna lay that down right now. Wasn't he gonna get fired last week? That was that was debatable. So Fauci <laughs> came out on Tuesday and essentially said that he's got this path for getting our professional sports back up and running. And so Fauci, for those who don't know, he's the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases director freaking smart he is freaking smart he looks smart he and he's got quite the following he really does in an interview with snap originals which is an offshoot of espn 30 for 30 he said this and i quote the only path for sports to return this summer includes no fans in attendance and players being kept in quarantine for the duration of their seasons he went on to say that there's a way for doing this that nobody comes to the stadium, no butts and seats. You put the players in hotels, wherever you want them to play and you keep them very well surveyed, surveilled. Now, if that doesn't sound like an infringement on our liberties, I don't know what does. And then you have them tested every single week to make sure that they don't wind up infecting each other or their family. So Presumably their family is in quarantine with them. And then he says, just let them play out the season. So along these lines, we've heard MLB saying, all right, let's get all of our 30 teams together. Let's bring them out to Arizona. Let's quarantine them. Let's essentially quarantine all of Phoenix, Flagstaff, and every other city that has some stadiums in Arizona. Golf is I'd comebacks without fans which makes sense. Golf courses around the country have been booming because of this, right? 
And obviously the number one thing, and no, nobody will really say it at this point, but everybody's pointing to the fall with football, right? Oh God. Yeah. We all know the prominence that football has in our society and within our economy, college and pro together are more than all the other sports combined. If you have to ask me. So this, the stance, the statement that Fauci has come out with, and since then the president came out with all these different phases for getting the economy back up and running, you know, states are left to their governors to decide who can open and when by the looks of things, the giants won't be playing a home game anytime soon. Right. So Dave Cohen, what do you think of this plan to play out the MLB season or for that matter, finish the NBA season without fans in the arenas? I heard that they were going to make the NBA season go to Las Vegas and they were going to keep all the families and players on the strip in Vegas because they have the summer league there. So they were going to finish out the season just there. I think that's dangerous, but I think that the sports world is thinking that the citizens uh, and the people of this country need a distraction. And I am in huge support of even allowing the games to be played with no fans simply for the fact that remember when nine 11 happened, it was when baseball came in New York, right? It was like, it was like seeing the first plane hit the air again when you're outside sports is the same thing. It kind of normalizes things a little bit. So it's weird. It's awkward. I watched a UFC fight a couple of weeks ago in Brazil where there was no fans. It was weird. It was different. But I think we could get used to it. I, 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 I like it. Shit, ask the XFL. They don't have any fans and they still play. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I watched a horse match on ESPN the other night, right? It right. was the worst thing I ever saw. So, I, listen, I, well, it, it can't hurt. It can't hurt. It can't. Dan, crystal ball this thing for us. How does, at, how does this play out? Uh, from an NBA standpoint, I think they should go right to the playoffs. You know, who watches regular season? Uh, watching regular season NBA is yeah. a freaking nightmare. They I'd rather watch the horse quarter game. anyway. Can we yeah, just fourth quarter, fourth quarter, couple quarter. minutes. <laughs> Get them into the playoffs. Even if you do half the league in the playoffs, which I think the NHL actually talked about was some modified playoff format but i'm all for it it's uh i had i had i'm a yankees fan so we have a huge library of great moments in yankee history the yes network has done a hell of a job playing games ranging from you know like the night you know 1980 or 81 world series to david Cohn's perfect game to the aaron boone walk-off uh, magical moment. So, I, you know, I, I, but that's run its course. I'm ready for some live sports. And I, you know, I don't pay attention to the fans when I'm watching it on TV. You know, I'm watching, oh, watching the BS. game. It, there's, no, a moment, yes. there's a momentum serious. factor to that for sure. I think the there, there's no question. There's no question that the, the fans are part of the experience. Listen, I was supposed to bring my son to WrestleMania a couple weeks ago when it was supposed to be here at Ray J on April 5th. And obviously that didn't happen. So we watched the first night of the two-night WrestleMania event that took place, the WWE training facility in Orlando. It was not five minutes before JJ was back on his iPad (laughs) playing Roblox 
and just did not care that I just spent $30 to pay for night one of WrestleMania with no fans. It was awful. I could hear the referee talking to the wrestlers about their moves and where to put their arm and not to grab that and this and the other more than I could hear Michael Cole jabroni talking about what was happening in the ring. It was a complete disaster. And I did not even think twice about paying for the second nine of that WrestleMania event because it was so horrible. And I, I will tell you the NBA will be just as bad. I agree. I, 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 go ahead. Yep. First off is wrestling a sport. It's, it was considered essential in Florida. I'll drop that there. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. And secondly, the NBA is it's close to an unwatchable product for most of the season anyway. Guys don't play. Guys play. You know, um, for me personally, I, I, I like the idea of being able to hear what's – some of the trash talking that's going on and what's being said between player and coach yeah. and coach and player, which it'll I think will be a great TV element sure. of, yeah, I think it'll be a great element of it, but um, you know, it'll be different, but again, I think everybody's crazy. You can only watch reruns of old competitions. You can only watch so much game of horse on ESPN brutal I made it through like 10 minutes I feel only watch so many cornhole tournaments I mean I feel bad for the Yankee fans right because on SNY we watched the 86 Mets and we watched uh Mike Piazza's home run on 9-11 when they came back those are the two games we watched so like I feel I feel real hard yeah right yeah MLB Network is Mets heavy too right I made it through six weeks of Yankees like uh, games, so I, you know, I was pretty good for a while. But I'm I'm looking forward to some some live sports. Yeah, you might as well throw on like Caddyshack and Top Gun and all those others too, because you know how they end. <laughs> My goodness gracious! <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. The, the, the issue I have with the NBA is that, like you said, the product is is not good as it is. So you're going to put it on without the buzz, the hype, the, the reason for the, the players to play, and that's the fans. LeBron came out and said about a month ago or whatever, there's no way in hell that he thought it was worthwhile to play without the fans. I'm sure that's changed because nobody knew a month ago how long we'd be into this. Here's what the NBA could do. The NBA could scratch the season, hold the game seven between the Clippers and the Lakers, because those are the two best teams in the NBA. They're both West. They don't even have to leave the goddamn city. They do it at the Staples Center, and there you go. Game seven, one game. That's it. That's the champion. I like it. I like that, too. LeBron LeBron will probably find something to complain about. (laughs) He will. Yeah. He will. So, at the end of the day, though, let's talk about the fall. You know, we have – Hall of Fame game in August, late July, August, right? We have college football stoking up in, you know, end of August. And then we have September 10th is the NFL kickoff with the Chiefs. What do you think? They're going to play without people. I think the NFL season happens, definitely. Um, I think baseball has a half a season. I don't know if the NBA comes back. PGA should be playing now. Like, I don't understand what, like, they're delaying. Yeah. Test the players. If they are clear, then they can play. Agreed. If they're not clear, they can go play mini golf on the Berlin Turnpike here in Connecticut <laughs> or something like that. The, the, uh, 
quote unquote GHO is happening without is fans. The Travelers is happening without fans. Was just announced. Um, I think the NFL season will happen. Uh, I think they'll probably go through half the season at least without fans. Um, the the which, difficult one here, though, is college football because you have the student athlete aspect of it. Are classes going to resume in the fall? And if they don't, do student athletes become athletes? I mean, they, aren't they already? <laughs> you know, True, at some the, of the, the places, at least. Yeah, it'll be interesting to think. What's your prediction for college football? I think schools resume in in August. I I I think that uh, from what you hear, everything has has reached its peak or it's almost there. I think that the country is eager to move forward. I I, I don't know. I, the other aspect of this is you know there's going to be a black market for tickets. You oh, know, if, fam- if families can get in, then there's going to be this underlying market that, well, I got a ticket to go to the Bucks game. Oh, how did you get that? Oh, I know somebody who knows somebody, you know, and there's this whole other part of the, the attendance thing that's going to take place for sure. There's going to be this underground network. Speaking of the Bucks. Your your boy Tom is is uh, is now a Buccaneer. Who's boy, <laughs> Tom Who's Brady boy? is a Buccaneer. That's unbelievable. I don't. Uh, we shouldn't spend any more than that on it, because giant fan, giant fan, and then idiot, um, <laughs> uh, you know, are in the room. So, <laughs> so, I, so we're we're in agreement. Golf should be back, which I would watch. Yep. You know, oh, 100 Thursday to Sunday. You know, Masters during in November, I think is going to be kind of cool. CBS yeah. is going to go from Masters to NFL football. I think that's going to be really interesting. You Jim know what Nance. I don't understand? You know what I don't understand, though? I don't understand why you take a sport like horse racing that is like an older crowd that has has lost its 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 motivation for years and years and years. If that sport took initiative to get going without fans – people would watch it because it was right. live. And that is right. a way to gain interest back into something. hundred percent. Right. Right. We, we would be watching, we would be watching uh, Tampa Bay downs every night. Like, right. You know, Absolutely. We, we would start to know the names of the horses and the jockeys in Tampa or like, you know, well, upstate and, New York. and it's the same issue with all the other sports. So it's the support staff, it's the trainers, it's the people who have to open and close the doors and, you know, count tickets. If, if Walmart stays open, a horse stable should be yeah, able to yeah, stay no open. Way. That's the truth right there. That's true. Horse stable doesn't sell. They don't sell toilet paper at the horse stable. So <laughs> they don't at any of the other stores either. So <laughs> yeah, baby. Joe, I like it. Good start right there. We got a little hot debate going on. At the end of the day, it's going to be different. Just like, you know, stepping into shit in the woods is going to be different. You know what it's the best that we can do right now is is live sports without people what the hell are you gonna do complain yeah, about it or that watch is it? a pile of shit outside of yankee fans everybody has run out of classic games to watch so it's time to level the playing field dave Cohen, what do you got 
Um, so you, you, you laugh because when we talk two, about, baby. <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Jessica. So when you've, got, <laughs> when you've got, when you, when we talk sports, you guys laugh every time I mentioned horse racing or something like that, because it leads to what gambling, right? When people think of horse racing, they think of gambling. The sports world has put a huge, uh, has created a huge impact on, on sports gambling. And sports gambling is something that I uh, enjoy keeping track of and participating in occasionally. Keeping, um, keeping track of? Is yeah, that what they know, call just, it these like, days? Uh, uh, yeah, the spreads and, and you know, the, the, yeah, the odds and, and who's favored and that kind of thing. But, you know, like I read an article the other day in the New York Post. Um, I think it was Lee Brown that wrote this article. And uh, – they talked about what the casinos were doing with sports gambling. Because if you think about an addict in sports game, when people think of addicts, they think of drugs, alcohol. Oh, well, sports, right there. gambling's right Absolutely. there, right? And so if you like look in Connecticut, right, liquor stores, we call them package stores, are open. <laughs> and why are they open? Because they're essential. Because what happens if you take away uh, liquor stores is that people are going to fill up the hospitals um, that are, 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 you know, going through withdrawals and, and, and that's going to create um, um, a situation where the hospitals besides the COVID are, are, are going to have to deal with. And so liquor stores have stayed open as a result and, and are really uh, essential because of, of um, the need to drink alcohol yeah, for alcoholics. Yeah, right. absolutely. So, so like when, when you think of gambling, like these are addicts and, and, and they're always looking for something to, to bet on. And, 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 and the casinos know that. And so what the casinos have tried to, tried to do was to create things to bet on. And this article that Lee Brown wrote in the New York Post kind of talked about, you know, there are, there are uh, sports sites that are betting on the high temperature for the day, how many COVID-19 cases are per day, the over under on that. They talked about um, they talked about uh, betting on the day that Tom Brady was going to sign or with who that he was going to sign with, and you know for a while and I think it's over. I might I might be wrong, but there were there were three things that people were able to bet on for a while before the entire sports world shut down. That was the KHL Russian Hockey League, wow, um, virtual horse racing, and the Mexican Soccer League. Now. I love soccer and soccer is a great sport to bet on because it's usually less than a goal either way. And the over under is usually a goal and a half. So it's pretty easy to, to bet on. But I think that the sports betting sports gambling has, has, has uh, it's a a significant problem for a lot of people. And I think that, I think that this country and the world really underestimate the impact of sports gambling. What What do you think, Dan? Whoa. Go ahead. Yeah, Dan. so I agree to, and this is I, I didn't get I didn't bet on any of these games, but Bleacher Report recently ran the goat greatest of all time, which is so overused, it's sickening. Greatest of all time, John Madden football simulation tournament. Oh my god! Honest to God, and they they streamed it live. I, I it's called Twitch. I'm learning about these things. Streamed it live, and I watched. I think two, two or two or three of the Giants games, and <laughs> well, it, you know, the Yankee, the Yankees uh, were showing Nets highlights that night, um, <laughs> <laughs> and legitimately in the comment section of these live streams, which you couldn't get rid of, there were people 
saying, email me at this to bet on this game. And they're betting on a, a wow. compute. Like, it's not even like Joe playing against Dave Cohen. <laughs> it's a computer simulated freaking game of John Madden football where Sam Huff is lining up right next to Harry Carson, who's lining up right next to Lawrence Taylor. And for some reason, the Giants effed up. Dalvin Tomlinson made the greatest of all time John Madden football team for the Giants. But Dave, I'm with you, man. There's so much out there right now, and it might not be directly through casinos. Could be the old black market stuff, which is the only kind of gambling, I guess. It, it, some people will say. But there's so much out there for people to get their fix on, and it's, it's, it's even more out of control than normal. So what happens when this comes back? Are, are, is this going to solve addiction issues for a lot of people, not having it? Or is this going to create a situation where when everybody's back to normal, in quotes, everything's going to fill up? It's a pent-up demand for sure. I mean, people have saved their money, and, <laughs> and they're, going to be, they're going to be ready to spend, especially on the, on the first live sports events. Those could be bigger than the Super Bowl bet books. You know, it'll be interesting. It really will be. I'd like to bet on, you know, 1986 game six world <laughs> series, if that's possible. If yeah. SNY. <laughs> if anybody knows anybody taking those bets, uh, let me know. I love that you brought up the over-unders. One of my favorite and least favorite at the same time, Mike Francesa segments on any of it, like right at the start of the sports season, the over-unders. And the guy was window thrower. Window thrower. He was wrong, you know, eighty-five to ninety-five percent of the time. But it is. It made for uh, made for great radio. Dave, what uh, as a gambling man? Like, like you know, how many uh, how many dandelions in the backyard? What do we got going on right now? Right. No, it's it's. <clears throat> listen, I mean, it kind of makes yourself feel pretty good going through this because you know it's it was just for fun. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, you're not shaking. Or you can turn like it that. off. But, you know, like, you know, it, when the great thing about sports gambling is instead, like if, if you're sitting at a slot machine or a table, your money goes quickly. And when you, when you bet on a sports game, you put the money in the beginning and you have three hours for your money to last mm -hmm. compared to it. So, so sports gambling is, um, I just don't know why every Connecticut included, I don't understand why we haven't passed it yet because I think it plays a, a, a um, it, it, it's entertaining if you can handle it, but I, I listen, I, I'm like Joe during in terms of missing sports and stuff like that. I, uh, <laughs> I, um, it, it's, I, I have watched so much HD TV. It's, it's pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> well, and in Connecticut, if you can tax it, they pass it. So it's kind of, they're working confusing on it. They got, they true. got their best Very team true. on it. Right I'm now. sure. All right, so our final in-the-trenches topic, we have, the NFL draft is coming up tomorrow night. Yeah, probably not a block party going on in Vegas. Not a block party going on in Vegas. <laughs> was it Nashville last year? Crushed it, it was, and that was sick. Did you see those? Oh, it was outside, it was, right? It, it was yeah. amazing. They were balls deep in people in the streets out there. The bars – well, they're probably hurting right now, but they probably did so well last year that they're, they're fine. No question. Um, so we have the NFL digital draft. It's like a John Madden football fantasy draft right now. It's fantastic. 
Um, I'm excited about it. I love the draft. I've been watching the draft for as long as I can remember when they used to start on Saturdays and it was like a 12 hour affair to watch the first day. And then the second day, same thing was, I think it was three rounds and then four rounds. Mel Kuyper um, Jr. Became a permanent fixture in your home, which is ridiculous. Cause the guy doesn't get anything right. But who did he get into a fight with? The young puppy McShay is like a yeah. protege. Yeah. Oh, I thought, I thought somebody, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's All made right. for TV though. Uh, it's it's so I, I'm a I'm a big fan of the draft. I you know when when it was draft weekend, it was Saturday and Sunday, not leaving, you know, holding your urine as long as you can, you know. Uh, but uh, you know, watching every second of it on TV. Now they obviously the NFL capitalizes on the the money making involved, and they have this huge event. But this year it's taken away, right? COVID, no no live draft, no people in attendance, and it's all going to be done remotely. Which, as a Giants fan, all right, Dave, Dave Gettleman, general manager, I like him, actually, personally. He's got, he's got a little, uh, I don't know. He doesn't take any shit from anybody. He does what he's got to do. But he's, he's old, old school. school. He's right. old, old school. Old school. To a point where, like, he's got a, interviewed a couple months ago, and he's talking about, like, computer guys and analytics. And um, I'm actually more confident in the Giants' ability to get this right this year because of Dave Gettleman being old school. I'm going to pull up a couple photographs right here. All right, first off, we're going to compare and contrast. So on the top picture right here, we have the San Diego Chargers, Tom Telesco, the general manager. This guy's got 17 freaking computer screens in his living room or basement, whatever the hell it is. Very nice uh, ping pong setup over there. Yeah. And he's got Vice President Pence on, but the question is, what's the network that he's watching? That's what we need to know. I'm looking, it's looking like CNN graphics, oh, but, gosh. you know, we'll see. Okay. But this guy's loaded. At least three power strips, uh, surge protectors going on right he's now. He's got all of his kids' MacBooks leveraged here. Yep. Who knows what they're doing schoolwork on? Well, he probably bought them more, and they're on a different Wi-Fi, right? So this, this, guy's, this guy's just tuned in right now. I don't know who the What's chair that? is for. Is who's the moose? Who's number nineteen? Who's the Lance, moose? Lance Allworth, I believe. Oh, all right. San Diego Charger, great, and the powder blue San Diego Chargers uniform, completely off topic, phenomenal. Yeah, agreed. Blow the creamsicles uh, from the box out of the water. All right. Anyway, top photo. This guy is with it. Technology dialed in. Look at the rat's nest of freaking oh wires over here. He's got like servers going back there. Oh, he, yeah. He, he's he's dialed in. That chair not being used though is sweet because it hugs your fucking oh you're like you're fat <laughs> on the side. <laughs> there it, it is. Does. There it is. We we're allowed one. We we were told yeah, in our I've research we're allowed one. We got two in, so we're all right. X-ray. So Dan, I, I have a question. Do you own that giant sweatshirt yet? I don't. I don't. But it, it's it, it, no one Gettleman. It's probably from 1977. Right. which is a great transition. You look at the top screen here, technology. He, he looks like he could send something to the moon right now. Right. Guys piped in. Dave Gettleman, 1991 yeah. laptop. That's, an, that's the old IBM right there. IBM. Joe Durang, Joe has passed that laptop <laughs> along. That thing has been passed along to every employee in our company, at least that's for right. a couple minutes. Correct. He's got the old laptop. 
coffee mug, rock solid. This guy yeah. had no coffee. He's probably drinking hand sanitizer tea. there right next herbal to tea. the coffee mug. Well, the key here, hand sanity and lotion. You hand sanitize your hands enough, <laughs> you got the lotion. Clean it up. Un, un, unscented, of course. Yeah. yeah, we'll see about that. But the best part, look at this look at the binder. binder. Fantastic. He's probably got every college player and their bio and all that, all their, all their scouting assessments in this binder. And why am I so confident? This is going to crash. This is a shit show. <laughs> Someone's hacking, right? Someone's sure. zoom, zoom bombing this guy, this, this, uh, this buttoned up suit up here. He has There's no an idea. AFC West team right now hacking into all of that. Oh, dominating. And Do then you we know got what, Gettleman. One, what is one thing missing in both pictures? A beer. No. No. The helmet telephone. Yeah, true. Oh, that's that's classic. That's, that's I mean that's like that uh, New York Radisson, nineteen eighty two, right there. I mean, I, I want to know what's on Gettleman's sticky note there. I bet you that has more information than what's in the binder. What I've been told from source, I haven't really been told this. This is all of his. <laughs> this is all of his password. Password. That he, <laughs> and he's playing solitaire. This guy's not using the laptop for the draft. Who are you kidding? Right. Listen, the why I'm confident right now. The binder doesn't get hacked. Right. There's no Russians getting involved. This right. binder is rock freaking solid. But he so has, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a Giants fan. I know but, we're getting we're getting. But there, but dude. here's the thing. But here's the thing. Right. This guy, his draft choices have been excellent. I know. No, I'm I'm not just talking about David. Jones, what's his? Who's the quarterback? Daniel Jones. Daniel, Daniel Jones, Jones, right? But but there, like his his draft. I know Francesca killed him in the past, but he's like, and, he, and, an he, and he's not he's not a good. He, he doesn't interview well, and he he pisses a lot of players off. But his draft analysis should be very high. Yes, I agree. Which brings me to the next point. So, I don't know about this guy from the Chargers, and the Chargers stink anyway. Let's be serious. I'm confident in the Giants because of Edelman's old school tactics with the binder. More importantly, they're in the same division as this idiot. Right. All right. This is 2010. The entire draft board, the entire draft board is exposed. Right. Zoom in. Let's go. Let's zoom in. I mean, let's see here. Who do we got? Here we go. Now we're talking. Right. Eric Berry. That's that was Joe Hayden. You just had it there. Yeah. Eric Berry. Yeah. Look at these guys. Oh, cool. Jerry Jones. It's a nice for a watch. Buck. It's a great watch. <laughs> he bought it with it the revenue from the show that gave away everything. Right. So we got the Chargers, very new school. Something's gonna happen. The mainframe is gonna be in uh, the integrity is gonna be a compromise. Gettleman. Well done. The binder with the tabs, old school tabs. He's sliding the little things to the colored thing. You know, he's he's locked in for this type of draft. And then you got Jerry Jones. You probably see it. You know, we'll we'll find out who the Cowboys are drafting. Uh, probably in the morning of the draft. Right. Dave, how are you feeling yes. about the Cowboys going into this draft? I gotta be honest. I, I don't. If they don't draft Tua, I don't know any other college player. And I watch college football all the time, but I just I don't pay attention like that like I used to. I, I, 
you know, I, I'm always about like whenever they draft an offensive line, any team, whenever you draft a lineman or something, who cares? You're disappointed. Right? I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, give like, me oh, the wide man. receiver from Clemson or give me the quarterback <laughs> right. from Alabama. Like, I don't, yeah, I, like, it, it's, unless it's, you're wearing me Tunsil, who everybody learned about in the last minute. <laughs> Had a great gas mask. <laughs> he, he, I'm sure he's fine nowadays. Are yeah, they, oh, yeah. are they got, you know, they, I mean, he's got yeah. this gas mask that he can get around rather easily with. That's like a is two it still, one, is too, it still going to be 15 minutes in between each pick? I mean, that's ridiculous. It's, I, I think it should be longer. Oh, my God. We've been sitting in, in solitaire forever. Like, like, what, like, we have to wait 15 minutes between each pick? I think it'll be great. Something bad is going to happen, in my opinion, must-watch TV, NFL draft. Joe, it's the only we're, thing on TV. It is. It is. And, and Dave, Dave, I mean, honestly, the answer to that question is: Do you have? Do you feel good? No. I mean, the Cowboys have not drafted well. So, pretty much contrary to to what you so said about getting. We re-signed Amari Cooper, right? Yeah. And you know, the, the thing about the Cowboys that drives me uh, freaking crazy. I, I didn't know that this was a, uh, a in the trenches uh, topic. But go well, ahead. I, yeah. No, we're going. We're, I mean, we we can uh, we can. We can call it audible. We got a hot route right here. <laughs> the Cowboys fans, they walk around like they won the pa- – they, they walk around like they, like they won as much as the Patriots in recent history. You're right. The Cowboys right. haven't won a thing since 93 90, or four. Uh, yep. We won three out of four years, right? Yeah, that's that fantastic. Time. There wasn't a high-definition television. Right. You're right. You're right. right. It's been very disappointing. Romo won one playoff game. Dak the only the knows – Dak only knows half the playbook. He can't right. look to the left. He only throws to the right. Like, I get it. Yeah, I get it. A, but, like, yeah, listen, right. you know, usually, like, when we're 8-3, and three, we're, every year we're thinking, like, this is it. We're going to at least get to the championship game. What do you think yes. about Riverboat Ron? Ron Rivera in the no, house. I, I love that coaching staff in Washington. It is – you you look at Ron Rivera, and then he took on uh, Jack DeToro, right? Jack Del Rio is there. Del Rio, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah new coaches all over the place in the East. Right. Yeah, but, I mean, that's solid. Both those coaches will kill anybody. <laughs> Joe, Giants fa- fellow Giants fan, we usually exchange text messages on dra- the round one of draft night. Yeah. My favorite one is Beckham. When he got drafted, you sent me a long text about how you saw him at LSU and how you loved him, and I did too, and then that, that, that came to a halt. What do you think? You going for the new school GM? or the old school GM in these circumstances? No, I'm, I'm definitely going to build long-term here. You know, I want to go old school. I want to build from the front to the back, front to the outside. You know, one of the issues, you know, you know all the issues I have with Eli, and I'm not <laughs> an Eli apologist, but, you know, he did not have a lot of time to throw the ball. He did not have a lot of protection to, to get – you know, the ball to the weapons. So I think we need to start there. I'm excited about the draft. What's that, Dave? That like, that's the one thing I'll never understand about Giants fans. That guy won you guys two Super Bowls and he, he is made out to be like this, this guy. Well, he has cement on his feet. He doesn't move. Like I get it, but like he has a key to the city, man. He doesn't owe anybody anything. Dave, I'm Dave. I'm with you. And we can do probably another hour on that. Put it on the list. Huge, huge Eli fan. Joe is not. We argue about that pretty regularly. Hey, listen, we're going to take a short break right now before we get into our next segment. When athletes shit in the woods podcast with Dave, Joe, and Dan. 
I feel like it's going well right now. We'll see. Yeah. We'll check you guys back in a couple minutes. All right. For our next segment, we're going to turn it over to my man, Joe. So this next part, we're going to talk about youth sports. Have you guys heard of Mike Matheny and the Matheny Manifesto? Cardinal great. He yes. is a Cardinal. Yeah. And played yes. for a, a few different teams. And I believe it was in 2012, maybe 11. He was forced to retire. He had uh, multiple concussions and um, just wasn't prudent for him to continue on with his career. So he retired and he got out of the game and um, immediately picked up coaching his son's little league team and in the the weeks preceding the little league team season starting he sent to the team's parents this letter and this is what's become known as the Matheny manifesto in the Matheny manifesto it, it's quite long actually and, and for those out there who haven't heard of it please google Mike Matheny manifesto you'll find it it's all over the internet it's really good reading. And for those who coach youth sports, I want to draw your attention to one particular paragraph and bear with me as I read it. It says, I, and this is from Mike Matheny, I believe that the biggest role of the parent is to be a silent source of encouragement. I think if you ask most kids that they would want their parents to do during the game, they would say nothing at all. Once again, this is all about the kids. I believe that a little league parent should feel that they must participate with loud cheering. Come on, let's go. You can do it. Do this, do that. Coach from the stands type of thing, which just adds more pressure to the kids. I will be putting plenty of pressure on these boys as their coach to play this game the right way with class and respect. And they will put too much pressure on themselves and each other. You as parents need to be the silent, constant source of support. Why is this so hard for parents in youth sports? Dave, tell me. I think that, um, I believe uh, Mike Bettini mentioned this. I think that a lot of times if, if, if they, it, it, here's where I think it applies more. I think it applies more to the, the youth that are excelling at the sport compared to the youth that are on the team that are not so good, that are doing it just for a, a social event because I think that the kids that excel at that sport, I think the parents feel like they have made an investment in them, in their kid, and they want to return on it. And I think that Mike Matheny mentioned that in one of his interviews, I think that parents feel like they know everything um, that, uh, that they, um, they want to live vicariously through their mm -hmm. kids and they're, they're up in the glory. Um, to to achieve it, what they weren't able to achieve. Most times, yes. Yeah. And, I, and I will be honest with you. I coached youth sports, baseball, basketball, soccer, football for eight to nine years. And looking at what the experts say, like Mike, I, I think Mike Matheny is an expert just based on his, his, his career, his achievements, and um, his, his, uh, his philosophy I, as a parent, as a volunteer, failed miserably at, at coaching because I 
uh, my expectations, there should be a book written about the difficulties of coaching your own kid. First of all, hundred uh, percent. your expectations are probably more grand than they should be. Right. Well said. Dan, as a, a facilitator of team building, and, and you're the expert when it comes to facilitating outcomes for teams in, in the realm of team building, you have hundreds of, of groups that you've worked with in, in this way. What do you see the role of kids, uh, or, or really the role of the parent within the, the youth sports community and, and for their kids' team specifically? Yeah, I mean, I don't coach youth sports. I don't have kids playing youth sports, so I can't speak directly to that. But what I can speak to is, in my mind, if you look at the statistics, the amount of athletes that play at the youth level that move on to play at the high school level, it's a, it's a small percentage. The amount of athletes that play at the high school level competitively and move on to a big-time college. It's, it's fractional, it's small. And then it gets- Because either. of the attrition, the, just the, the skill required to get to the next level. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes. And then you take the next step from college to a professional sport, it's minuscule. It's un, under a half a percent. Right. So to me, it's, you know, I look back on my, you know, quote unquote athletic career and it's really, you know, there's things I use in my life um, right now that I learned from going through a tough time in freshman football or, or in varsity baseball or at the college level with football, you know, so to me, I think you have to look back at, you know, yes, it's great for a child to get better at a particular sport that they're playing, but, you know, more of the big picture of what are the skills that they can learn from participating in that sport, the lows, mm -hmm. the highs, the moments of triumph, the, the moments of, you know, failure or embarrassment. And how can you take those experiences and apply them to the classroom and eventually the professional world? And to me, you know, being an, ad an adventure facilitator, you know, what we do is it's, it's a controlled environment. It's not necessarily real life. Um, you know, but what we try to do is simulate what happens in real life so that when a group leaves or a person leaves, they're better prepared to face whatever challenges they face on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's the, the approach I would take with it is that it's not about a batting average as a, you know, 12 year old, you know, baseball yeah. player. It's about what you learn from the approach, the preparation, the competition that you can apply, you know, when you are 22 and looking for your first job. And that, yeah. that to me is what it should be all about. Yeah. The, par the parents are so brutal. And, it, 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 and, and I probably am guilty of this myself. In Connecticut, through the CJSA, the soccer organization that runs travel soccer, um, they, in the fall and the spring, have one weekend completely dedicated. It's called Silent Sidelines. So the parents cannot say anything throughout the game, only the coaches. And so if you ask the kids their favorite times to play and the rep, the youth referees, it is, <laughs> it is the silent sideline weekends that they, they, that they, they, they designate for that. The yeah. fact that they have to create that event and that there was some thought and, and data behind creating that event goes to show you exactly what the problem is right and, and so i i coach um my young kids i have a eight and a ten year old 
Um, I've been coaching JJ in T-ball and in Little League since he was four. Been coaching Faith in soccer and now softball since she was six. Um, the, the issue that I see with the parents is, yes, Dan, you are correct. The, they want their kids to be the next star. They want their kids to be the next scholarship player, the next big deal. Um, they see a glimmer of hope or a glimmer of talent and that's it. They think they're, they have the opportunity and, and it's the parent's job to create the opportunity for them to work hard, to practice, to push them, to get them to that next step, which is absolutely ridiculous. The, the other thing that I see though, really um, kind of alongside of that is the parents trying to keep up with each other. And it's a social me, group. It's a social networking. It, it is. Yeah. And, and, and to me, it's just like outside of sports when you're in a social gathering and your kid makes a decision to push another kid off of the slide because they want to go on the slide or climb up the slide backwards. Immediately as a parent, we go over there and say, oh, I'm so sorry, Johnny, why are you acting like that? Not because Johnny acted inappropriately, but because we feel bad to the other parent that my kid acted like that. And so it's the same thing in sports. We want our kids to outperform and to be better on the field than the other kids so that we as parents sitting shoulder to shoulder with the parents of the other kids can feel that sense of pride. And to me, that's where a lot of this problem lies. If you think about the significance, you, being a youth coach is a very big thing. And I think more times than not, me being guilty, you kind of take it lightly. You kind of think like, yeah, whatever. I can play. like I played baseball. I played basketball. I know how to, you know, I, I know how to make it fun. I know how to do these drills. What they don't tell you about youth coaching is, is the, the importance of organization and, and I'm not talking about the drills. I'm talking about the communication with the parents, the scheduling, um, making the, uh, the players feel um, uh, supported and encouraged. And, um, you know, you think about it. I was not good at uh, equal play. I didn't believe in it. Like, I figured, like, what does that teach kids about life, right? Like, I mean, I think, like, up until, like, 10, I think you kind of have to do the equal play. But but then after 10, you're kind of thinking like, no, I'm going to play the players that are, that are better. They're working play to win. But that does not sit well with the parents because more times than not, I think that families sign their kids up to play sports. And I'm not talking about the premier level. I'm talking about the classic rec stuff just to have fun. Mm -hmm. And I think that that balance of doing that is just really difficult and really important. And I think like, you know, at times I found myself, spending more time on that than my own job. And that's, right. that's, it's, it's yeah. very underestimated. <laughs> yeah. I'm right there with you. And we have, you know, coaching staffs that I work with for both, you know, eight U level and 10 U level who spend an inordinate amount of time on practice schedules, communication with parents, figuring out which tournaments to, to go to figuring out how to maximize the talents of, of all the kids who are involved. And a lot of times, that takes place during work hours. And that's, yeah. uh, you know, probably not the right thing, but it is a, a reality. So, so for all those parents out there, you know, I would say this, that, um, you know, the, the number one thing that you can do for your kid 
if you're not coaching and it's a whole other segment if you are coaching, but if you're not coaching, the one thing that you can do for your kid is to just observe in as much silence as you can be. And when they get off the field after Mr. Coach talks about what they did wrong, what they did right after they celebrate or they don't, when they come off and they're ready to go home, my advice is to say, I really enjoyed watching you out there. And if, 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 if you could just leave it at that, your kid will find the joy themselves in that particular game, in that particular sport, and will continue on with it regardless of their ability. If they feel undue pressure, if they feel that the issues within your own life being transmitted or onto them, then it's going to end up being uh, a short lived career. The national Alliance of youth sports wrote back in 2018 that the, of the 40 million kids who participate in sports, 70% of them will quit before they turn age 13. And to me, there's one reason for that. And it's because it becomes not fun. And as a parent, are we contributing to that being come, becoming not fun or not? Which is, it's a great point, Joe. And it's something that I, I've had a lot of conversations with recently with teachers and coaches around the idea of, you know, how are students handling the, the transition to work, uh, do school from home? during COVID-19. And one of the big things is like, Hey, the, we have to somewhat lower our expectations because these kids don't have the life experience to draw back on something to say, Oh, I did this once before. It's not the same. It's similar. I can maybe try this tactic to get through it successfully. Um, part, I think part of youth sport and even at the high school level is, it's building up that base of experiences for an individual so that when they are 23, 24, yeah. 30, 40, and they're faced with a, a real world challenge, they can look back and say, you know, what? I remember getting the crap beat out of me in a, in a, you know, a football practice and yeah. I got through it. Okay. And I didn't, I didn't think I could, but I made it and we did it together. And, you know, talk about a lesson that'll get you through anything in life is, you know, we, we sometimes sell ourselves short and we don't realize the value of togetherness. And, you know, to me, there's no better venue to learn those skills than through participation in sport. And, you know, I think that has to take priority over, you know, absolutely a, a win at the U8 level or whatever it right. might be. And, and really it's up to us as parents. It's up to us individually to lead ourselves through that practice or through that game to say, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about what I didn't accomplish or what I truly want for this, you know, my daughter, my son, whatever it might be. It, it has to be more about them and more yeah. about them at the U8, 10, 12 level, having fun, enjoying what they're doing. Um, you know, there'll be a time and a place to get serious about all the other stuff. Um, but at the, at the lower levels, it has to be about having fun and it can't be about yelling or reprimanding or creating a negativity around, a, you know, a physical error or an inability to, to perform physically, um, to pay attention is one thing 
to uh, treat others with respect is, is one thing, but to go out there and give your all and mess up, well, that's okay. And that has to be okay with our parents. It has to be okay with our coaches. Yeah, Joe, I agree wholeheartedly that the biggest takeaway, I think, from participation in sport is do the best that you can until you can't do it anymore and see where it falls. Right. And God, what better lesson in life can you apply is, hey, I'm going to do the absolute best that I can. And it's not going to guarantee anything, but I can go to bed at night knowing, yep, it was the best version of me out there today on the field, in the office, whatever it might be. That's right. So, so. If you're a parent out there and you're getting all over your kid or you're overzealous in the stands, telling them to spread their feet or put their hands back or to space out if it's soccer, shut your mouth. I love Matheny it. would tell you to just be quiet because that's shut, what your child wants. Shut, shut the pie hole up. <laughs> And we'll be touching on Mike Matheny's manifesto uh, over the course of the next handful of episodes because it's 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 legitimately it's it's as close to perfection as you can get. So he hits on every hot button topic and every issue that coaches and parents and kids and their parents have within youth sports, and he does a really nice job. And and if you haven't checked it out, again, it's the Matheny manifesto. You can find it on Google. Um, uh, you know, it's definitely, it's a short read, but it's worthwhile. hundred percent worth it. Hey, we're going to take a short break. And then uh, we have our final couple segments coming up here with the when athletes shit in the woods podcast with Joe. Dave, and Dave. Welcome back. We are live with our final quick hit segment of the episode. Step in the shit or walk away. It's a little bit of this or that. I'm going to kick things off right here with the, uh, since it's NFL draft time of the year with uh, a couple questions from the NFL combine. And here's what I'm going to present to you guys. Which question is going to tell you more about the guy that you might be interested in drafting. These are two questions that were legitimately asked during the 2020 NFL combine. The first athlete was asked if he had both testicles. The second athlete was asked if he found his mother attractive, which one are you asking to get valuable information from that potential prospect about draft position and potentially signing uh, sign them to a contract to be on your team. Do you have both testicles or do you find your mom attractive? Dave, kick us off. Of course you would ask me that first. Um, you know, I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I <laughs> I would probably go with the two testicles uh, response as as as, as uh, kind of weighing heavier, only because uh, if that player has one testicle, they've overcome a lot of uh, their daily <laughs> um, uh, presentation or are confident enough to talk about it. I, I, you know, these questions you hear about this all the time. I, I don't, I don't understand. First of all, I don't understand the. Uh, 
the rationale or how the, the equation of a, a football IQ or whatever the test they call it comes about. But these questions you hear about all the time, these players get offended all the time. They, they go to the media after and they talk about it. So two testicles, like, I mean, like, what? I mean, if you have two testicles, you're going to be more confident in the locker room after the game, showering? What, like, what's, what's – they're both irrelevant to me. Yeah, no way. I absolutely go with two testicles. I want to know who's got the balls to stand in the pocket. I want to know who's got the balls to make a hit. I want to know who's got the balls to do I mean, there's got to be, be there's got to be NFL players that have one testicle, right? I mean – who, who yeah. are they? Not admittedly. Man. And I'll say this, that every man alive, look at the women that he surrounds himself with. They're going to be pretty damn near their mom somehow or some shape. So there is something there psychologically when it comes to the women in your life and your mom. So that, I don't know. I think that there's something to that. But I need to know if there's a man out there without a testicle because he won't have what it takes. Wow. Joe, you heard it there from Joe. You got to have a guy that could put the nuts in the wheelbarrow and That's get right. after it. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Wow. I don't need half a jock strap. I need somebody who's got a whole jock strap. There you go. No, th- no thongs in Joe's locker room. How about Correct. that? All right. Correct. All right. Hey, we're going to turn it over to Joe next. What is your shit or walk away? Yes. So I want to ask you guys, and uh, Dan, you can go first on this one. What compels you to more action? The thrill of victory for the agony of defeat. Oh, Jesus. Um, the agony of defeat, 100%. Why? It's not a fear of failure. It's a hatred for failure. Because to me, you get the W, and it's like, all right, cool. Let's, what's the next thing? Who's next? Dave. Dave? Yeah, I guess I'm not afraid to fail. I failed miserably a lot throughout my life. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, you know, it's, 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 I think when you fail, you, like, you, I think that there's, <clears throat> there's more positives that come out of experiencing failure than um, the, you know, the, the winning all the time mentality. Is that Absolutely. what the beard, is that what the beard's all about? The beard is about uh, telecommuting and uh, working from home constantly, all right? It's, it's gray as shit, though. Oh, <laughs> yeah. All right, Dave, with our next shit. Love it. So, yeah, you know, I, looked at, I, I, I kind of wanted both of your opinions on this. This is kind of like a, a, what would you choose? Uh, you know, thinking – I was going to ask you guys about a comparison of, of tag team wrestlers and who you would pick and why. But I, I, I think I went with the uh, I went with the video game thing. What would you guys pick and why? NBA Jam or Double Dribble? Oh, God. I, I'm going to go Double Dribble simply for the opening song. First of all, can you just say it, please? Double Dribble. <laughs> double Dribble. Absolutely Double Dribble for the opening song. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna wholeheartedly disagree with you, Joe. NBA Jam is absolutely classic. It's two v two. It's what we all grew up playing, right? Whether it be in a driveway or in the in the in the sandlot basketball courts, and 
it's, it's there perfect. was nothing like shooting three pointers though and double dribble. No, he's nothing. absolutely. What about nothing. NBA Jam? He's on fire. Yeah, come no. on. <laughs> no, <laughs> double dribble. <laughs> Dave coming through in the clutch with the Love great it. finisher of take the shit or walk away from it. Hey, we're moving on into our final segment. We're going to share a video clip. This is a little bit old. 2014, I believe, but I think it's a perfect uh, way to wrap up episode number one of When an Athlete Shits in the Woods. Thank you so much for checking in. And we're going to join our man, Mike Gundy here. He is a man. He you didn't have that. But someday you will. And when your child comes home, you'll understand. If you want to go after an athlete, one of my athletes, you don't downgrade him because he does everything right and may not play as well on Saturday. And you let us make that decision. That's why I don't read the newspaper. Because it's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. Attacking an amateur athlete for doing everything right. And then you want to write articles about guys that don't do things right and downgrade them, the ones that do make plays. Are you kidding me? Where are we at in society today? Come after me. I'm a man. I love I'm it. a man. I'm 40 years old. <laughs> I love it. I love it without the podium. I love him standing there like he's about to hit somebody. Who would the only the issue is I wish, I wish he had his mullet. He's missing the mullet. Yeah, that would add a lot. That, that adds a lot of credibility to the rant. The best part of that, and it wasn't part of your clip, but I absolutely go on YouTube. You can find it. If you just if you type in MI and you don't even have to type in Gundy, it comes up immediately. Yeah. The best part, he goes to open the newspaper and the insert falls out and he, <laughs> and he catches the damn thing. It's just straight pure athleticism. Man. Pure athleticism. But Mike Gundy, listen, if you're coaching or you're a parent, be in it for the kids. Right. right. It's not about your record. It's not about a newspaper, especially at the youth or even the high school level. It's about those kids that are going out there and trying to figure things out and building that base of experiences. Couldn't ask for a better advocate for his athletes and Mike Gundy right there, basically challenging everybody in the press, calling them garbage to say, Hey, don't go after my 19, 20 year old. Right. Come after the 40 year old man. Right. So listen, coaching, playing sports, it ain't perfect. It is imperfect right. all the damn time, but get out there, do your best and expect to at some point find a heaping pile of shit in the woods that you might step in. You might get around but there's going to be those roadblocks. But as long as you're giving it your best and you're caring about the kids that you take care of, you're doing something positive. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode one. This is history. It is. At least our history. One of many. <laughs> episode one of When Athletes Shit in the Woods. Joe, Dave, freaking fantastic job. I'm looking forward to the next one. We are signing off. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks for tuning in. Peace out. Thank you for tuning in to the When Athletes Shit in the Woods podcast. Don't forget to check us out every other Tuesday for more stories, 
insights, and commentary from sports guys and gals who don't mind a little bit of dirt, grit, and shit. It's always great to have a plan and to go out and get after it with high expectations, enthusiasm, and passion. However, be sure to remember that the next pile of shit in the woods is just a step away.